You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And welcome to the program. Today is the 28th day of May 2021. Today is uh, Friday and the sun is about to set. So Shabbat Shalom. It's about to be the seventh day of the week, which has never changed. Anyway, um, so uh, we're going to be reading uh, chapter three. Let me think here. Yeah, it's chapter three of Holy Priesthood, Volume 5, will be on pages 26 through 37. And uh, I'm actually home tonight. Kim is in the other room. 
I think she's sitting at the table. I'm sitting in the living room. So. I am. Hi. Anyway, I did post this at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977 for anyone who wants to go read along with us. And you can also find the link to where the books are at on the uh, on the website, or if you're listening later, it'll be in the description at uh, iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon. So uh, I'll dedicate the program, and we'll get right into the reading. I will be doing some reading tonight as well, and uh, I'm like I said, I'm home with my wife, so. Um, and it's almost the seventh day of the week. So, just real quick, God's timeline never changed. The Gentiles, they think they can change things, but his timeline never changes. And what I mean by that is the end of the day, when the sun sets, is the end of the day. So the first day of the week starts at night after the sun sets and it goes all the way to the next evening when the sun sets. That's one day. Right now, we are at the end of the sixth day of the week, which ends in probably about, I don't know, five minutes, where I'm at anyway, because the sun is about to set behind the mountains that are to the west of us. And it'll be the seventh day of the week. It'll be the Shabbat of Yehovah or the Sabbath of rest, which never changed. Jesus Christ was resurrected on the first day of the week, shortly after sunset on Saturday. After sunset on Saturday is the first day of the week. It wasn't Sunday morning. Excuse me. It was not Sunday morning. Anyway, um, I'll dedicate the program. And uh, my 15-year-old is walking past me right now. Emmett, go get the the measuring tape. It's in the garage. If, If it is where it's supposed to be, it's by the tools on the... Okay, well, keep looking. It'll be in the last place you look, hopefully. If it's not in the last place you look, then we got to take you to a mental hospital. <laughs> Any, okay, anyway, I always tell my kids, it'll be in the last place you look. So just look there first, and then you'll find it. <laughs> dad humor. Anyway, I'm 43 years old. I don't know what you expect from me. I'm a dad. It happened. Anyway, um, I'll dedicate the program, and then we'll get into the reading. Oh, Yehovah, our Elohim, we come before thee in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. We thank thee, Father, for all that thou hast done for us in teaching us the truth of thy gospel and for giving us this world that we can dwell upon, that we may come down in mortality and learn so much. We thank thee for the atonement of Yeshua, our Messiah, for being able to come down to make mistakes and to go through 
challenges, but to learn for, from them and to be forgiven for our mistakes, that we may be edif edified and understand so many things. We thank thee, Father, for giving us this time to be on the air with the people. We thank thee for the humble followers of Christ who listen to this program, that they may be edified and think of things that maybe they haven't thought of before or be reminded of truth that they haven't thought about in a while. We ask thee for thy spirit to be with us as we watch over and listen to these things. We ask thee, Father, to bless us in our lives so we may be prepared to become Zion as a people and that we might see Zion redeemed on the earth. We ask for thy blessings to be upon us and thank thee for everything that thou hast done for us. And we do so in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Infallibility and or fallibility and infallibility. Chapter three of Holy Priesthood, Volume Five, pages twenty six to thirty seven. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20. In order to write a chapter on this subject, it is necessary to first define the terms. According to Webster's New World Dictionary 1984, fallible means liable to be mistaken or deceived liable to be erroneous or inaccurate. The first definition refers to people and the second information or the second to information or concepts. Infallible is incapable of error, never wrong, reliable, sure, incapable of error in setting forth doctrine on faith and morals. There can be little doubt that certain principles are infallible eternal and everlastingly true. But when it comes to mankind, there has been only one infallible person. The Catholics render even more exclusive definition to, of infallibility. Infallibility, according to them, when wherever it shows itself in the structured life of the church, whether in the teaching of the church or in the hearing, believing the, and confessing, church. Infallibility is more than a simple de facto absence of error. It is a positive perfection, ruling out the possibility of error and entailing necessarily a central fidelity to the Christian revelation in the doctrine taught and accepted by the church. Infallibility is always primordially a gift of the Holy Spirit. When the Roman pontiff, in the discharge of his office as shepherd and teacher of all Christians, in accord with his supreme apostolic authority, defines a doctrine concerning faith or morals to be held by the whole church, he teaches infallibility by reason of the Spirit's aid proper to his special role as the center of ecclesiastical unity. End quote. Catholic Encyclopedia, Volume 7, 
pages 496 and 497. Infallibility, the immunity of error that is claimed by the Roman Catholic Church in the doctrines that pertain to faith and morals. The claim to infallibility assumes the positive and consistent assistance of the Spirit of God to protect against the possibility of error. From a positive view, by virtue of this claim, the church must permanently teach the essential truths of God without fear of error. From a negative standpoint, the church assumes divine protection from ever, re- ever receiving or teaching erroneous doctrines. It is, by reason of the divine assistance promised to him in, ble- in blessed Peter, possessed that infallibility with which the divine Redeemer wished his church to be endowed in defining doctrines of faith and morals. And quote American People's Encyclopedia, volume 10, page 244. Catholics believe the Pope to be a saint. Oh, wait me. Catholics believe the Pope, be he saint or sinner and is preserved by God from leading the church into doctrinal error. This is referred to as his infallibility. Religions of America, Leo Rosten, page 43. They think that infallibility is not centered upon the righteous righteousness of the Pope, nor on the righteousness of the people, but on their position. They believe that the moment a person assumes that high office, a miraculous transformation shrouds them with some type of perfection or protection and per- perfection. We're on page 28, Kim. Are you okay. there? I was just um, thinking, yeah. So I was just thinking while you were reading that, um, it's kind of like when – um, with the caste system, do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the caste system? Yeah. So people believe that um, the place that you were born into, like if you were born rich, then you must have been amazing in the last life, and then automatically you are this amazing person because of your status in life. But if you were born poor or um, unhealthy or um, something like that, then not only are you – um, paying for sins of the past, you know, but you are an unclean and not um, a good spirit or a good person. So people believe that however you um, perform in this life, however you um, are uh, in any caste system, any system that you are born into and any one of any caste that you're born into, um, however you perform in that caste will determine whether or not you are born um, rich or poor or healthy or sick in the next life. So that's kind of what that and reminds that me would of. Be, that would be how uh, people who believe in the Hindu version of reincarnation kind of see yeah. things. So Jesus Christ, being a homeless vagabond, would not have been blessed in the last life because he was rejected of men, and he wasn't rich. And although the money that the the uh, the uh, magi brought to him and his uh, mother and stepfather, I mean, 
that's some pretty expensive stuff there. So they actually did have a lot of money. I think Jesus chose to be homeless uh, to get away from the people that probably would have killed him. But uh, that's speculation. Um, I was just thinking about the Catholic Pope being infallible, uh, infallible, which goes against the doctrine of free agency because he can't make a mistake. It's kind of yeah. like the LDS church. They teach the people, you know, that the, the prophet can't make a mistake. And then Russell and Nelson comes out with this policy where they uh, exclude baptizing polygamous uh, children from polygamous marriages. But no, that was something that was done a long time ago that nobody cared about. So nobody talked about it. But then they also talked uh, recently in the last couple of years, Russell and Nelson said it was a revelation that people who are children of people who had parents that lived in same-sex marriages or relationships, um, they uh, were not able to get baptized unless they denounced their parents or something to that effect. And then uh, he said that was a revelation, and then like 18 months later they saw how much backlash there was against that and then they they're like oh well we decided that uh i mean god he decided that 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 wasn't a good idea so we're going to reverse that policy um no don't don't throw god under the bus for your uh fallibility for you making mistakes i mean i don't know i like it's kind of like my ex-wife so Plenty of people know that my ex-wife was President Hinckley's great-niece. And she used to throw that in my face all the time. And so I kind of threw something in her face. And I would be like, and this is, I guess this is my personality coming out, but God doesn't, this is what I used to tell her, God doesn't turn the prophet into a puppet and and uh, our st- how do I say it? Okay, PG thirteen. Every year is everybody. Okay, I'll use but. Okay, <laughs> that's not what I was gonna say, but my wife. I know that's why I she likes to save. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, oh hey, guess what, Kim? What? It is the Sabbath. Shabbat shalom. The sun just went down. Anyway, um, I'm going to do something that I never do. Are you ready for this? Sure. <laughs> he is blowing the shofar. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. My daughter, Olivia, is about to do this. What is this? I need measuring tape. Oh, Arius, it was asleep. Okay, give me that back. Give me it back. I just woke him up. Poor baby. I forgot. Okay, your mommy's going to have to go do that. (laughs) Poor kid. My son, Emmett knows that he is um, allergic to milk products and um, we gave him 
macaroni and cheese today. So now my son is miserable. Poor kid. And I just woke him up. Anyway, so I'm a jerk. All right, let's see. We're on page 28. And um, I'm going to grab something real quick and get back to the reading. So welcome to live radio. (laughs) He went back to sleep. Okay. I never do that. I just it's my shofar from Israel. All right, now we're on page twenty eight. Let me just go back to the beginning of that sentence. They believe that the moment a person assumes that high office or miraculous transformation shrouds them with some type of protection and perfection. Page twenty eight that infallibility comes with the office the man holds. Many people have mistakenly assumed that the doctrine of infallibility was adopted by the Catholic Church nearly 2,000 years ago. And indeed, they did debate, discuss, and argue about the doctrine for many centuries until it finally came to an acceptable vote in the year 1870. Coincidentally, just about 20 years before, it began to be taught in the Mormon church. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so yeah, around 1850 is when uh, they're saying that that infallibility doctrine began to be taught in the Mormon church, which didn't come from Joseph Smith or from Jesus Christ. It came from an apostate mind. Although the question of infallibility arose in discussions among our theologians and was implicitly presumed to be present in the church by most of the Roman Catholic world, it was not defined as a tenet of the church until 1870. And quote American People's Encyclopedia, Volume 10, page 244. It must be understood that neither the Catholic nor the Mormon Church believes that the man himself is infallible, only that by virtue of his office he is protected from teaching error or from leading the Church astray. The doctrine of infallibility was not even taught in the early days of Christianity because so much internal trouble with the constant flow of changing and contradicting doctrines. The weaknesses and faults of the church were too obvious for them to assume any kind of infallibility. Brigham Young described some of these problems. The principles of the gospel are perfect, but are the apostles who teach it perfect? No, they are not. Now now bringing the two together, what they taught is not for me to say, but it is enough to say this that through the weaknesses of the lives of the apostles, many were caused to error. Our historians and ministers tell us that the church went into the wilderness, but they were in the wilderness all the time. They had the way marked out to get out of the wilderness and go straight forward into the kingdom of God, but they took various paths, page 29, and two substantial churches that remain the remnant of the apostles and that divided 
are now called the Holy Catholic Church and the Greek Church. You recollect reading in the Revelations of John what the angel said to John when he was in the Isle of Patmos about the seven churches. What was the matter with those churches? They were not living according to the light that they that had been exhibited. Do Latter-day Saints live according to the light that has been exhibited to them? No, they do not. Did the ancient saints live according to the revelations given through the Savior and written by the apostles? And the revelations given through the apostles left on the record for the saints to read? No, they did not. And that comes from Journal of Discourses, Volume 12, page 66 through 67. Kim, did you have anything to say about that? Um, I'm going to, I want to see who said that quote. Because that did come from the Journal of Discourses, which means it was one of the leaders of the LDS Church back in the day. Oh, it was Brigham Young. Oh, Brigham Young. He said that the leaders could be fallible. Oh, wait a minute. But wait. Um, okay, so if Brigham Young said that the leaders could be infallible, and the prophet or the president of the church, which he was when he said it, can never lead the church astray. But now the new guys say that the leaders of the church cannot be or are infallible and cannot lead you astray. Then did God change his mind? Is the doctrine a doctrine of change? Kim, did you hear what I said? Amberly was uh, our six-year-old was uh, talking to Kim when I was saying that. So it's just like the, the thing like is, she went outside and she caught some bugs and she put them in a jar and she wants to keep them as her pet. And oh, I, I was trying to explain to her that if she does that and they don't have any holes in the jar, then she's actually just killing them slowly. So I was like, <laughs> That's, they're just gonna die. She goes, oh. Um, okay, hold on a minute. And so then she left. <laughs> she, she had this uh, bug when I went out in the front yard a minute ago. It was crawling on her hand. And she's like, look, Dad, a ladybug. And it wasn't a ladybug. And I was like, um, that's not a lazy ladybug. That's a poisonous wasp. And she says, well, it didn't bite me. And I said, yet. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing her. Anyway, but so, like, there's this schizophrenia in the church where, like, Brigham Young says something, and then you've got these leaders that come along later, and they're like, Brigham Young led the church astray in false doctrine because he said a thing, and that's a heresy. Okay, well, oh, and the other thing, too. Uh, It's more important to follow the living prophets, even if they contradict the, the dead ones, Oh, what did Brigham mean? No, it was Joseph Smith in the Times and Seasons that he said if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, set them down as imposters. Well, if they contradict the former revelations of the church and the church doctrine, you have to set them down as imposters. Now, the church wants to say the LDS church has never taught the Adam-God theory, even though it has been taught in plainness from the pulpit and general conference and was uh, Brigham Young said, if you don't believe it, you'll be damned. 
and that was taught from 1852 until 1877, and then it was in the lecture at the Bell for another 25 years past that, down in the St. George Temple. So anybody who got their endowments at the temple, which was the only one, like the St. George was the first in the West, um, they all learned the Adam God doctrine. But now, um, and, and Brigham Young said that if you don't believe it, you'll be damned, okay? But now you've got Marky Peterson and Bruce R. McConkie and Spencer Kimball saying that if you do believe it, you'll be damned. And I was excommunicated partly for believing the Adam God doctrine. My aunt, who had nine children, was told by her bishop back in the uh, early 80s that if it wasn't for the fact that she had nine kids who were all in the church, that uh, she would be excommunicated for just believing it. She wasn't teaching it. I wasn't teaching it either. I think I made the mistake of saying something to somebody, not Kim. When Kim, when I told Kim about the Adam God doctrine, she was like, that's not right. And then she was like, oh. And how does it go, Kim? We were on our way to... Oh, yeah. Uh, they can't hear you if you don't unmute your phone. They can't hear you if you don't unmute your phone. Hi. Okay, I can hear you now. Okay. We were on the way to Maine because I'd never been to Maine before. It's the only state I'd never been to. Sorry. Why don't you have a headset on? Why don't you use the headset that I bought for you to begin with? It does have a mute button on it, so you don't have to do that with your phone. But you keep letting Olivia use your stuff. All right. Well, my wife's taking care of the Arius, so Arius is our one-year-old, but he is almost two. And, uh, yeah, he's not happy right now. So, all right, let's see here. The Catholics believed that the Pope cannot give bad counsel or lead anyone astray by the virtue of the office he holds. They assumed that the leader of the church would be protected by the power of God so that he could not make any serious mistake because the Lord would intervene to protect him. It sounds like a wonderful promise, but it is not so. Such a promise might be given to... Uh, how, uh, let me just ask this. Okay, the LDA or the uh, the Roman Catholic Church went into apostasy. How did that happen? If the leader of the church can't lead the church astray, how did that happen? It's the same thing with the LDS Church. If the leader of the church can't lead you astray, then why in the world did Jesus say in section 85 of the Doctrine and Covenants that he would have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order if it was never out of order, if there had been no, no apostasy and the leaders of the church couldn't lead the church astray, why would God have to send one mighty and strong to set it back in order? Anyway, just things for you to think about. It sounds like a wonderful promise, but it is not so. Such a promise might be given to a man because of his worthy worthiness but not because he holds a high church office. 
Even those who have received the promise of their calling and election made sure are still subject to making mistakes and errors in judgment. Yep. Uh, we can actually even fall. So I've had my calling and election made sure. Um, if I deny my witness, I can become a son of perdition. So um, even I can fall. Now, I can make lots of mistakes and be stupid and whatever, but if I don't deny my uh, my witness, then I'll be fine. I can even get mad at God and yell at him because my baby died uh, or my other baby died or whatever, which has happened. And, you know, I've been angry at God for different things. Like, why do you want me to go through all this again? But... um but I have my free agency to do that, but that doesn't mean that I'm infallible, and it doesn't mean that I can't fall. So anyway, as Thomas Jefferson once said, the wise know too well their weaknesses to assume, assume infallibility. And he who knows most knows best how little he knows. The wisdom of Thomas Jefferson Page 11. I'm going to read that again because that was actually a pretty good quote. The wise who know too well their weaknesses to assume infallibility. The wise knows the wise know too well their weaknesses to assume infallibility. And he who knows most knows best how little he knows. He who knows best knows how little he knows. Emmett, come hither. I got to tell my son this. You have to hear the wisdom of Thomas Jefferson. Are you ready for this, Mr. Smarty Pants, who thinks he knows everything? He doesn't know a lot, but he doesn't know everything he thinks he knows. He who knows most knows best how little he knows. Emmett? I want you to write that on a whiteboard a thousand times. <laughs> he says, you write that on a whiteboard a thousand times. I will physically disability you with a whiteboard. Anyway, my son, my son has dysphagia, which means he has a hard time writing. So I like to tease him. Anyway. It is said that the origin origin of the infallibility doctrine came through the superious quotations from Greek fathers and councils which had been composed in the 13th century by the Latin theologian, probably a Dominican who had lived long in the East. This cantana deceived St. Thomas Aquinas, who unsuccessfully unsuspectingly embodied it in his theology from which it passed without question into the dogmatic system of the church and quote Cambridge modern history page 718 it was a comforting doctrine which gave both Pope and church members of kind members a kind of self-security assuring them that all was well. 
And the one who did the most to get that concept adopted into the doctrine of the Catholic Church was Giovanni Mastia Fertelli, who proclaimed Pope who was proclaimed Pope under the name of Pius the Ninth. Pope Pius the Ninth. He was a better priest than a Pope because he too inherited too many problems from the three previous popes. When he became Pope, the government was at its worst. The reforms he made were inconsiderable and unacceptable because the people were too ignorant to their duties as citizens, and they soon got out of hand. The close associate, Minister Rossi, was murdered, which caused the Pope to flee from Rome to the fortress at Gaeta, I guess. Gaeta. Kim's okay, gonna save I'm going to try to get onto this, and I I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> so I'm like, what are you talking what? about? That is a word. It's G-A-E-T-A. Gaeta. Where is, uh, what page? Um, We're on page 30, I think. Wow, I'm all the way up to 32 thinking that you got further than that. Okay. Well, I read slow and you know that. That's why my radio programs for me take two hours and for you take an hour. Giovanni Mastaya Farisi, who was proclaimed Pope under the name of Pius IV, or the Ninth, sorry. He was a better priest than a Pope because he inherited too many problems from the three previous Popes. When he became Pope, the government was at its worst. The reforms he made were inconsiderable and unacceptable because the people were ignorant to their duties as citizens and they soon got out of hand. A close associate, Minister Rossi, was murdered with which caused the Pope to flee from Rome to the fortress of Yeah, that would be Gaeta. Gaeta. Your Gaeta. What is then like Gaeta. Um the A and the E uh-huh. makes a different sound. Gaeta. You might okay. teach kindergarten, but no, you don't excuse know everything. You. I teach first grade. Excuse also, me. in the English language, when there well, is a vowel team, hold on, I'm going to teach no. you something that you didn't know since no. you were in first grade. When there is a vowel team, when there is a vowel team, which an A and an E is a vowel team, it makes the first vowel say its name. And I before you, except after C, and your neighbor. <laughs> now my son is. Oh my gosh. Listen. Kim, yeah. you stopped teaching first grade yesterday. You are now a kindergarten teacher. Oh, no. oh, it's you have been monkey. demoted. Oh, it's okay, monkey. Yeah. Run. <laughs> no, that's not what you do. Oh, my goodness. Okay, anyways. Um, so I would say that would be Geta, like when they spell Geisha. It's G-A-E. S-H-A. Geisha. Well, I said Geisha. Geisha. Okay. I just, I pronounce it differently. Geisha. Okay. I did it with the proper accent. Sure you did. Pope Pius IX began a series of dogmatic pronouncements in 1854. Beginning with the definition of the Immaculate Conception and later with the Papal Infallibility. Oh, you want it to be papal instead of papel or 
papale. Oh, it said papal instead of people. With the papal infallibility. The later, or the latter, concern the privileges of divine sanction over material material possessions, entering into such principles as marriage, education, censorship of the press, ecclesiastical territory, and the enactment of laws. It was all summed up in both spiritual and temporal jurisdiction of the Pope concerning the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Page 31. The Immaculate Conception of the Virgin was her exemption from the stain not only of actual but of original sin. Later, it was enthusiastically championed by the Jesuits, some of whom forged documentary evidence in its favor, known from the place of its origin as the tablets and parchments of Granada. The fraud, did I say that wrong? That was good. Okay, okay. The fraud was discovered not, however, till it had done its work. The scaffolding was removed, but the belief had advanced from the position of a disputed opinion to that of a doctrine, which was unlawful to criticize. Uh, That comes from Cambridge Modern History, Volume 11, page 713, and that is one of my biggest pet peeves that I have with all of history and all of religion. It's people who who lie, deceive, and they skew what reality is so that it confuses massive amounts of people. And it is so wrong, and they do belong in hell for it. Because it is hard enough to live in this world and have your memory erased from things that happened before the pre, you know, in the pre-existence. It's hard enough to be down here and live with Satan and all of his lies and everything that are around you all the time. It's hard enough to be down here and go through mortality and have your limitations and have all of your handicaps that we also have to live through liars who want people to follow them and think that they are amazing and do wonderful things. And that drives me nuts. They are such liars. And Kimberly is taking the lead. There she goes. It drives me nuts. That's the one, that's like my biggest pet peeve. She's almost lapped the mark. (laughs) It's true. You know it. Oh, that drives me nuts because liars are bad. Okay, yeah, it sucks that we had the veil taken from her mind, but because I've been in the presence of the Father and the Son, I know how important it is that we have the veil placed on our mind. Because if we could know what it was like to be in the presence of the Father and the Son and we're out of his presence, it's pure hell. I mean, maybe not pure hell, but like, I'm going to surprise some people. I've had a problem with suicide, uh, depression, and, and I, I'm feeling suicidal in the past. I don't anymore. Not since he's been married to me. Let's just clarify that. I don't feel, make I him just, feel like he wants to die. I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to go back to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ because when I was in their presence, it was so powerful, and it was a place I never wanted to leave. But now I come back to this lone and dreary world, and uh, things are a lot easier now uh, spiritually and mentally now that I have been basically, I don't know, what do you call it when somebody sets you up? We had a prearranged marriage. 
Well, because, like, God was basically like... Uh, the matchmaker? Is that what you're trying yeah. to say? Yeah. yeah, he was. Anyway, but before that, I was alone. Um, so not only was I alone, but I knew what it was like to be in the presence of the Father and the Son. And so somebody asked me once... Um, why don't you ever go back into their presence? Because I have been invited back into their presence a couple of times. Not here, but to go back upon Mount Vashel. And I don't want to go. Because I'm in this, this world, and it's hard enough to deal with this world. So, like, the further away the the great experience of 2003 is, the easier it is to deal with with life in, in general. Um, and it still is hard, but I don't know, time, time dulls things. And so when people are like, why don't they have to put the veil on our minds? That is a blessing. It really is. Like, I mean if you knew what it was like to be in the presence of the Father in his fullness and his glory with the ineffable feelings that surround him and just the power and all of it, it it's hard to be here. So I'm, I'm really grateful for the veil. Um, and like the other thing too, Kim, um, you can take over any time. I'm just kind of feeling the void because you disappeared anyway so the other thing too is um, so I've had all these experiences right and I thought they were all so great and I still do I think they were great and wonderful but then he told me to be bold with my witness and to teach the people and that made me vulnerable by putting myself out there and I don't like that and sometimes I think I would rather have just lived my life without knowing all this stuff, especially if I, you know, I could, well, you can, you have to be, you can't be saved in ignorance, but at the same time, I don't know that you need to know all the stuff that I've been shown, you know, and then been told, okay, now that you have this, you must share it with others. Eh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, Kim. Okay. She disappeared. I don't know what happened to her. The doctrine of infallibility was not quickly and easily adopted because of the surge of pamphlets from the opposition. The important, or the most important, was under the title of Pope and the Council by Janus. Their object was to show that the doctrine of papal infallibility was unknown to antiquity in contradiction with history and based on forgeries and misconceptions. The forgeries, which they could no longer deny, had but stereotyped existing urges. Cambridge Modern History, Volume 11, page 719. The final definition of infallibility was voted on July 18, 1869 by 535 bishops. There were 20 bishops who were opposed to the definition, but they left Rome without voting out of reverence for the Pope. The definition is still debated. High pap papalists 
Saint Joan of Turquamada of Augustinius Triumphius. Kim? Kim. Where in the world is she? Can you even hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Are you going to correct me that the papalist of, or John of Torquemada of Augustinius, okay, uh, Triumphius, <laughs> I guess that's Latin, sounds Latin to me, admit that it is still possible that the Pope could could be a heretic. Even the papal statements tend to show that the Pope is an individual mortal person and should be recognized as such. Even by their own definition, the Catholic Church leaves room for later correction, addition, or subtraction from what has been adopted under the umbrella of infallibility. So we're on page 32, and we're 47% through with the reading for today. Infallibility does not absolve the bearers from the responsibility and often laborious task of searching out in scriptures and in traditions whether or not a truth is definable or it is a guarantee that an infallible pronouncement may not later require further refinement or precision. End quote, Catholic Encyclopedia Volume 7, page 497. How strange that infallible doctrine... How strange that infallible doctrine may later require further correction and changes. These infallible doctrines adopted by the Catholic Church must be accepted by unanimous vote of their bishops, just as they must be accepted by the unanimous vote of the apostles in the Mormon Church. The Catholics, Mormons, or anyone else who thinks that they can change eternal, everlasting, and unchangeable doctrines and principles just doesn't make any sense. The Apostle Worsen Pratt explained the nature of true infallibility and its place in the church, where inspired officers possessing power to obtain new revelation have ceased, their infallibility has ceased and their uncertainty, uncertainty and doubt must remain. Tell about the councils of the Church of Rome being in, infallible. Whoever heard of any council being infallible where there was no prophet and revelators that could dis- decide with a, thus saith the Lord and thus end all controversy. The Church of God never pretends infallibility upon any other grounds, yet this apostate mother of harlots can be one breath can in one breath call herself fallible can in one breath call herself infallible and with the next breath deny uh, deny new revelation divine authenticity of the Book of Mormon by Orson Pratt page thirty eight the great variety of opinions which have torn asunder modern Christendom and bewildered the mind minds of millions can have no existence in the Church of Christ, for they are all matters of importance. For there all matters of importance are decided by revelation and not by creeds invented by human wisdom. 
there the deep and hidden things of God or revealed by the spirit of truth. Their rich treasures in wisdom and knowledge are brought to light. There they have no need of an uninspired counsel to invent articles of, of religion to fetter the mind of man. There the Holy Ghost takes the things of the Father and shows them by revelation unto the church, and their infallibility is indelibly and unchangeably stamped upon every doctrine, principle, and ordinance and law of the church. And that comes from the same book by Orson Pratt, page 26. The doctrine of infallibility applies only to revelation and doctrine, as Joseph Smith explained. I never told you I was perfect, but there is no error in the revelation which I have taught. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 368. Emmett, go upstairs in my sock drawer and get some candies and bring them down for Arius and for me. We have sugar-free candies in my sock drawer. And now I have revealed the secret stash of my sugar-free candies. You better not eat them yourself. You can have one. Like a caramel one, because I don't like those. Bring me a coconut one, because I like those. (laughs) Oh, he doesn't feel good. Because... Emmett gave him macaroni and freaking cheese, even though he knows he's allergic to dairy. You gave him half a cherry. You never had, he's never had cherry before. My poor son. Yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, so my son is very upset. He's one years old. He is so cute. Some members of the Mormon Church oppose infallibility as a doctrine, but accept it in practice. For example, Joseph Fielding Smith wrote, This dogma sets forth the belief that the vicar of Christ cannot teach error because he has promised divine protection from error. Infallibility is a fabrication devised by the powers of darkness to act as a counterfeit for revelation. Religious Truths Defined by Joseph F. Smith, page 183. Hey, what are you doing? How am I supposed... Oh my gosh, this package of mints has two in it, not one. Get a, no, you already have one in your mouth. Okay, fine, you can go. All right, so Joseph F. Smith was the seventh president of, no, wait. It was uh, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilfred Woodruff, Lorenzo Snow, Joseph F. Smith. So he was the sixth president of the church, and then it was Heber J. Grant, Albert, George Albert Smith, David O. McKay, Joseph Filling Smith. And I can't remember past that because I don't care about those guys. Anyway, (laughs) I know the last ones. What? Maybe he needs a drink. Do you have coconut milk or almond milk? 
Maybe you should rub his belly if he has gas. Do what I do with Amberly when she's got gas. Poor kid. All right, so my wife is otherwise incapacitated <laughs> or something. All right, so we're 60% done with the reading. I don't know if she'll get back on the program tonight because Arius, our son, had food today that he shouldn't have had, so he doesn't feel good. Anyway, strangely, however, the same author who opposed the doctrine under the name infallibility later thought or taught it was a correct principle in practice. The time will never come when he will not be able to put confidence and exercise faith in the teachings and the instructions of those who lead us. Therefore, it behooves us as Latter-day Saints to put your trust in the presiding authorities of the church. Saints, safe in following church authorities. No man ever went astray by following the counsel of the authorities of the church. Doctrines of Salvation by Joseph F. Smith, page 243. So he just changed his mind. So, okay, if he can't lead the church astray in false doctrine, and he first said that the church leaders can make mistakes, but then later on, he said that they can't make mistakes. Okay, I have screaming kids. Um, oh my gosh, are you serious? No, I don't know what they're screaming about, but you can't talk because he's crying. They're screaming like they broke a bone or something. Oh, what is going on up there? I swear, my kids. This has the identical ring as the Catholic Declaration of Infallibility. In the early... Okay, I got to go find out what's going on. So I'm going to mute my line and I'm going to put on something that I recorded the other day. It's only eight minutes long, but it'll give me time to figure out what in the world's going on with my kids. So this is the introduction to the Torah conference at Shavuot last weekend, and I'll be right back. The record of the second annual Restoration Torah Conference of the Zarahemla Foundation. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah, and the word of Yehovah from Jerusalem. Shavuot 2021, the Torah and other Hebraicisms in the Book of Mormon. Dedication to the Lord of the Vineyard and to all the brown branches of the restoration. May you bring forth good fruit in the place you have grown, and may you never forget that it is not given to the branches to decide which should be kept and which pruned. It is the Lord of the Vineyard who will declare it. Copyright 2021 by the Zarahemla Foundation. All rights reserved. 
Any part of this book may be reprinted or published in part or in whole so long as the user reprints the text exactly as written. The source of this text is cited and the user is not republishing or copying this material to get financial gain. The authors and the articles in this book maintain full rights to their own words and ideas. The opinions of the conference presenters are their own. The Restoration Torah Conference and the Zarahemla Foundation make no claims to represent the Community of Christ the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or any other entity. Additional copies may be obtained by sending an email to restorationtorconference at gmail.com. The record of the second annual Restoration Torah Conference of the Zarahemla Foundation, Shavuot 2021, the Torah and other Hebrew Hebraicisms in the Book of Mormon, printed in the United States of America by Old Pioneer Press, 97 West Main Street, Santa Quin, Utah, 84655, 801-609-2222. Preface. The Torah and the Book of Mormon are intimately connected in this year's Restoration Torah Conference with the theme, The Torah and Other Hebraicisms in the Book of Mormon, is an exciting way to explore the relationship between them. One of the earliest stories in the Book of Mormon certainly links them. Lehi is commanded by the Lord to send his sons to get the brass plates, which plates contain the Torah, among other things. See 1 Nephi chapter 5, verses 10 through 14. In this way, the people of the Book of Mormon were sure to have the Torah with them as they left their organized religion and journeyed eastward to the Promised Land. Latter-day Saints from all flavors of the Restoration were invited to participate in the conference. So this written record of the proceedings contains a variety of ideas from a wide spectrum of speaker writers. I love, re I love reading other people's insights and find it wonderful that we can learn from each other. The ways we live the gospel no doubt differ from Latter-day Saint to Latter-day Saint so we will almost certainly find conclusions within these pages that conflict not only with each other, but with our own beliefs. I pray we, never, we are never too complacent and that we remain open to ways we can improve and follow our Savior more closely. I could give many examples of the ways I... I've had to repent and turn to the Lord, and yet I firmly believe I was also blessed in my earlier efforts. The Lord doesn't wait for us to reach perfection before giving us his spirit and taking us by the hand to lead us back to him. The life is in, our life is indeed a journey, journey eastward to the promised land. 
Throughout the Book of Mormon, we find the theme of record-keeping, with the word write or writ or record or a derivative found over 500 times in the Book of Mormon. In one story, when the resurrected Jesus visits the Nephites, he tells Nephi, Bring forth the record which ye have kept. 3 Nephi chapter 23, verse 7. After Jesus points out a gap in the record, he reminds them of an important event and wants to know, How be it that ye have not written this thing? Verse 11. In fact, that entire chapter in 3 Nephi is all about scriptures, writings, and the importance of good record-keeping, and is one of the many instances emphasized, emphasizing having written, written records. The book you hold in your hand is part of a written record kept by the Zarahemla Foundation of the Restoration Torah Conference held in May of 2021. There are also plans to share video recordings of the proceedings. The conference has been held annually in Lehi, Utah, a city named after the first Book of Mormon prophet who was given a commandment about records. If you would like to participate in future conferences, whether by speaking, writing an article, volunteering, attending, donating, or simply watching the live stream, please keep in touch using the website restorationtorconference.org and the email address restorationtorconference at gmail.com. The conference is scheduled to be held the days immediately preceding the Feast of Shavuot or Pentecost. May the Lord bless each of us, our families, and our communities to come unto him. Charlotte Erickson, May 11th, 2021. Table of Contents, Day 1, Friday, May 21st, 2021. Morning, Benjamin Schaefer, page 1. Nathan Diltz, page 20. Jonathan Felt, page 32. Afternoon, Joshua Erickson, page 43, Joshua Jessup, page 70, Melanie Melton, page 75, Jean Hadlock, page 88. Day 2, Saturday, May 22, 2021. Morning, Michael Mitchell, page 105, Eric Jensen, page 120, Enoch Foster, page 143. Afternoon. David Patrick, page 157. Anna Net, page 174. Taylor Smith, page 203. Robert K., page 223. Okay, I'm back. Uh, so our daughters, our six-year-old and our eight-year-old, share a bedroom. And I don't know exactly what they were doing, but somehow the top bunk 
came down and smashed my six-year-old daughter's hand. So she's fine, but she got hurt because she was pushing up on the bottom of the bong, and it got stupid and screwed up. Because that's obviously what happens when we stay home and try to do the radio show from the house. Oh, wait, no, that kind of stuff happens more than it should. Anyway, she has a... Uh, I've never done that before. That kind of stuff happens. Little kids do dumb things when we're not looking at them. Oh. So I was just listening to this guy talk about how dogs were smarter than kids and how, like, when you leave the house with the dog, you don't have to get a babysitter, but with a kid you do. But that's not always true because you can't leave a dog in the house because they'll tear everything up. So, right. But so, if you um, only have dogs, you don't need to cover any electrical outlets because the dog is not going to shock himself to death. Okay, yes. But, however, our kids have never broken any bones. They have... Olivia did. She fractured it. It had to be in a sling, but so she didn't she have to be in a cast. She part. jumped off of a part of a swing set, tried to grab the monkey bars and missed and fell on her arm. And then Emmett, who was not in my custody at the time because he was at his Mima's house, jumped off the side of the couch onto a PC, a CPU and broke his wrist arm in three places. And he was three? Not with me. Four? He was three years old. Three, yeah. Yeah, not with me. So my kids... Don't usually do that kind of stupid stuff. They don't get hurt a lot. I've never broken a bone. I've I never crushed. broken a bone either because I'm too afraid to do something. Stupid. Oh yeah, I'm cautious. Yeah. I have fractured. Uh, I've had boxing fractures, or have had boxing fractures. But uh, and there's a couple of places on my face where I've been hit by bare knuckle fighting. Where I have, I can move around chips of bone in, like, right on my my uh, eyebrow and my jaw. There's a piece of bone that's broken off underneath the skin that I can push around. I don't think that's healthy. Out of here, Emmett. All right, so we're going to get back into the reading. We're 63% through. We're on page 34, and I'll continue reading. Kim, can you please mute your phone while I'm talking? Sure. I thought you were going to have me read. Oh, well, you can read, and I'll mute my phone. Well, okay, that's what I thought we were doing. Now we'll get back into it. <laughs> okay. And the 12-year-old is watching the 1-year-old, and the 15-year-old is getting almond milk for the baby. A copy, yes. So, all right, I'll mute myself. Okay, but what page number am I looking for? 34. Okay, good, because that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm, 34. I was at 35, so. Okay. Just at the beginning? Okay. This has the identical ring as the Catholic Declaration of Infallibility. Wow, that was kind of hard for me to get out. In the early days of Mormonism, infallibility of men was a doctrine repugnant to church leaders, whereas fallibility of man was one of their central themes. For example, Oliver Cowdery, second elder to Joseph Smith, wrote 
and this comes from Messenger and Advocate, Volume 3, page 522, quote, But let him beware lest a blind zeal for party throws him off his balance, and he imbibe or imbibe the idea that man, frail man like himself, has claims to infallibility. Remember that the great creator never made an independent man, and with equal propriety, we might add he never made an infallible one. End quote. Again, that's from Messenger and Advocate, Volume 3, page 522. According to Joseph Smith, you're not on the air. Okay, the Messenger and Advocate, Volume 3, that's, that's church... Uh, that's a church manual from back in the day. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. According to Joseph Smith, only Jesus Christ was perfect. He says in B.H. Roberts, Chronicle Ch- or Correlated History of the Church. Sorry, I couldn't think of what it was called. Volume 2, page 356. Quote, it is but just also to the prophet to say that he made no claim for himself of either impeccability or infallibility. Where is the man that is free from vanity? He asked on one occasion. None ever was perfect but Jesus, he continued. And why was he perfect? Because he was the son of God and had the fullness of the spirit and was greater than any man, end quote. From B.H. Roberts, Correlated History of the Church, Volume 2, page 356. Benjamin Johnson, who lived in the prophet's house, commented on the fallibility of Joseph Smith. Uh, This comes from Benjamin F. Johnson, letter to Elder George F. Gibbs, Pioneer Press, page 35, quote, And no man seemingly could make greater mistakes in selection of associates than did the prophet, and this with the many other things of which he was accused. His enemies held as evidence that he was a fallen prophet. And even the Lord, not only at times, admonished him for neglect of duty, we're on page 35, but speaks of his sins and transgressions which would imply that he was not always equally enlightened and guided by inspiration. And in the earliest days, he did so mistake, make mistakes that the Lord at one time withheld from him the keys of his calling. And he does not in his own history hesitate to say that after conversing with both the father and the son and being administered to by holy angels, that he made great mistakes and was overcome in transgressions and sins. End quote from Benjamin F. Johnson, letter to the elder George F. Gibbs, Pioneer Press, page 35. Years later, George Q. Cannon wrote about the fallibility of President Wilford Woodruff and his counselors. You're like a train. (laughs) When the stop sign comes, you just keep on rolling. Well, yeah, you kind of can't stop it. I've already... So the way that I read is not word by word. It's more like sentence by sentence. So once that sentence is already put in there, it's like going to come out. And that's how it goes. Okay, go put the pea, go put the peas back on it. The six-year-old has a bag of frozen peas for her hand that she smashed. All right, so let me see here. Oh, I was just thinking, okay, so some people are like – you can't possibly be the Lord's anointed because you're not Joseph Smith reincarnated. And I'm always like, how do you know I'm not Joseph Smith re? I mean, I don't say that I am, but how do you know that? Because, like, if, I, if Joseph Smith came back as a reincarnated person, you're not. <laughs> you wouldn't know. Okay. 
and I don't claim to be Joseph Smith, and there's there's a group of people that think that Joseph Smith is going to come back because of a bunch of stuff, whatever. I don't even care. But if he did come back and he had gone through all the experiences that he had gone through, Kim, I can still hear myself. If he uh, did come back with all the experiences that he had gone through in his psyche, um, he wouldn't want a lot of people around him. And I can kind of understand why he or why he would be that way because, like, all of these people that he had around him, they all backstabbed him in one way or the other. He couldn't really trust anybody but his family. And maybe he couldn't even trust them. I mean... William Smith was a very interesting fellow, but I think he could trust William. But all of these other people, even the ones that proclaimed to be his best friends, like, he really couldn't trust them. And I kind of understand how he feels, because, like, all of the people that God has sent my way to help me out, they have all fallen. They've all um, been had a target painted upon their head. Uh, and been attacked by the adversaries so much that they have fallen. And uh, and the adversary tries to use these people who have proclaimed to be my friend, who God has sent to help out with the work, to tear me down with them. Luckily, God tells me when they're going to do stuff like this. So like, for instance, uh, the patriarch, uh, who is a prophet, and the seer and had the fruits of being a prophet, seer, and revelator who was sent to help me out with things, um, he was falling. And I could see that, and I didn't know what to do about it. And in July of 2016, God specifically told me to sit down and write a revelation that he was about to give me, and he told me, what was going on, and to have nothing further to do with either one of these individuals that that I was inquiring of the Lord about. And luckily, he gave me that revelation, and I didn't have anything more to do with them uh, from July until November when they called me one time and left a message because I did not answer it because I'm not going to... I Like, there was a provision for one of them. The other one not have anything to do with him at all, ever again. But the other one, if he repented and turned away from his foolishness, then I could have something to do with him. But then he did something that was so egregious that both of them are sitting in prison, one in Gunnison, Utah, at the state prison in Gunnison, Utah, and the other one at the state prison in a mental institution because he was suicidal after everything. Anyway, but he's sitting up there for 26 years, and the other one's like 40-something years in prison. But luckily, when the FBI investigated what was going on, they knew that I wasn't part of this thing that they were doing that got them thrown into prison. And that, uh, and they kept the, the revelations, and they kept documents of everything. That's why it's so easy to pin what they did on them, but they went to prison and nobody ever bothered me except for Nate Carlisle who wrote uh, slander and libel, uh, committed libel against me um, 
which was picked up by newspapers worldwide. And uh, and then instead of retracting the story after I proved to them that they were lying and that they were taking things completely out of context, all they did was delete it on the Salt Lake Tribune's website, but they didn't issue uh, a retraction. And the damage had already been done. And all of these newspapers that used their story that Nate Carlisle wrote, they picked it up all over the world. So damage was done. And, yeah, they did some damage as far as these two individuals. But, like, so going back to Joseph Smith, if he has returned, which I don't believe he has, but if he did, like, I could understand why he wouldn't want to be in the limelight and that he would try to keep people away from him because just because of my calling and what I do, like, I don't want people around me to know my prophetic calling. Some do. I don't like that they do, but they don't persecute me because of it. But then some find out, and then they do persecute me because of it, and my family, and my kids, and it's just stupid. And so, like, we're very – we don't let people know where we live. Uh, Well, we only let people we trust know where we live. Oh, Kim, nobody can hear you. Um, So we have some friends, and one of them was asking me the other day, why do you have things that are public if you don't want people to know about you or your family or anything? Because you are more public about it. Well, uh, so there's a couple of things. People know my name. Because you gave it out there. Yeah, yeah which I wish I'd never had done. So then stop doing it. It goes away. I, it's already out there. I can't retract what's already been put out there for the last, what, 2012 till now? Nine years? Anyway, but it doesn't matter. So Kim never took my last name, so Kim's last name is not the same as my last name. Yes, yeah, And... My kid's last name, uh, well, the other two aren't the same. But so we do things to make sure that people can't figure out where. And my, there are no bills in my name. There is no record. But I'm just saying, Kim, that people say, why are you so public? I'm talking about my family, and I do talk about my family on this program. But I'm not going to tell them key things because we've had death threats. I have had lots of death threats. My wife hasn't, but they've. there's been a lot of threats. Anyway, so we're very careful about not letting people know where or who we are, basically. I mean, some people do, but no, but anyway, I, I, but the whole reason I bring this up is because, like, Joseph Smith had to go through so much crap in his lifetime because people knew who he was, and... um I don't. I wouldn't blame him if he did return for being a very private person, which I don't believe he has returned, but some people do. So uh, anyway, I'm going to mute myself and continue reading. 
Years later, George Q. Cannon wrote about the fallibility of, the pre- of President Wilford Woodruff and his counselors. This comes from Collected Discourses compiled by Brian Stoy, Volume 4, April 7, 1895. Quote, President Woodruff is distinguished from every other one of us by the fact that he possesses the keys of the kingdom on the earth. He represents the supreme authority. His voice to us in its place brings to us the voice of God. Not that he is God, not that he is infallible. He is a fallible, fallible man. His counselors are fallible men. The first presidency cannot claim individually or collectively infallibility. Infallibility is not given to men. They are fallible, but God is infallible. End quote. Again, that's Collected Discourses compiled by Brian Stoy, Volume 4, pay, uh, April 7, 1895. If the doctrine of infallibility Kim, were... Did what? you hear me snap? Nope. Okay, when I... I'm trying I to, like, get you. your I attention because I wanted the, to say... The, I can hear the clicking of the dryer, so I didn't know. Oh. I don't okay. know what's in there. Anyway, I just wanted to say that when God gives a revelation and it has been confirmed by the Holy Spirit, that yeah. is infallible. When a man speaks as a man, that is fallible. So a man can be fallible and receive the infallible word of God, but you've got to know that it is by revelation or through revelation and confirmation of the Spirit that the revelation is from God and not man. So I'm going to mute myself again. I can hear myself when you don't mute yourself when I'm talking, Kim. That's why I asked you to use the headset. Okay, I'm going to mute myself. If the doctrine of infallibility were true, it means there is a special defense to the church that is given to the president or pope. It would never allow them to teach anything wrong. Therefore, the church would never fall. But the church of Christ did fall. The head of the church of Jesus Christ is not exempt from temptations and weaknesses and even has the potential to fail. Wilford Woodruff acknowledged... Brother George Q. Cannon spoke about the temptation of the evil one. There never was a people on the earth whom the devil was more anxious to tempt and to destroy than those who bear the holy priesthood. If anybody supposes that the first presidency and the apostles and leading men of Israel are not tempted, they are mistaken. If Jesus Christ was tempted of the devil for 40 days and nights, do you suppose he would pass by these apostles? And prophets, we are all of us tempted and tried day by day. There is no people that the arch enemy Lucifer is more at war against than these Latter-day Saints dwelling on the in the valleys of the mountains. That's uh, what did you say it was? Colossians discourse. What is it? It's collected the- discourses, Volume Four, uh, September seventh, eighteen ninety-five. Was that the quote that you were trying to, or the, from the book that they were reading? You, no, the other one was COL. COL, that's yeah. Collations. This is uh, Collected Discourses, Volume 4. Yeah, but all the abbreviations of everything is really hard to understand what it comes from because not everybody knows what the I know. abbreviations are. Because I've been reading these books for so long, I know what they are, mm-hmm. but I understand. I know, for like everybody else in the world. I know. It's like ridiculous. The scriptures say that even the sanctified, who should be church leaders, appear to have no special protection. 
They all must take heed, lest they too should stumble and fall. But there is a possibility that man may fall from grace and depart from the living God. Therefore, let the church take heed and pray always, lest they fall into temptation. Excuse me. Yea, and even let those who are sanctified take heed also. D&C 20, 32-34. The doctrine of infallibility takes away the rights of men to make decisions and choices, even if they wanted to make a bad one. Henry D. Moyle gave some excellent advice. Examine any movement that may be brought into our midst, and if it attempts to deprive us in the slightest respect of our free agency, we should avoid it as we would avoid immorality or anything else that is vicious. That comes from Conference Report, October 1947, page 46. When men attempt to place a protective infallibility upon their leaders, they do it because of their own mental laziness. I was just letting people know that Henry Moyle was one of the counselors in the first presidency of the church. So that was church doctrine or whatever. So people know. Do you remember what page I was on? So every time that I have to go out and mute my mic and come back in. You use your headset. That wouldn't be a problem. Always. The doctrine of infallibility takes away the right of men to make decisions and choices, even if they wanted to make a bad one. Henry D. Morrill gave some excellent advice. I already read this. Hold on. When men attempt to place a, a protective infallibility upon their leaders, they do it because of their own mental laziness. There are at least three evils that follow such foolishness. Number one, it takes away their free agency, and the leaders are forced to do what's right and teach what is right. We're on page 37, by the way. Okay, fine. I'll let you read. It takes away their free agency, and the leaders are forced to do what is right and teach what is right. Page 37. Number two, it retards the mental and spiritual growth of their followers who believe their leaders will tell them anything, everything they need to think and do. Number three, it replaces faith in God with faith in man. And what's worse, it limits and destroys power from God. Unfortunately, the infallibility doctrine persists with the LDS church with greater rapidity now than it ever has. Notice the following statement by Elder Marion G. Romney. He is not talking about revelation or scripture, but rather about the awesome power placed upon the united voice of church leaders. The united voice of the first presidency and the quorum of the twelve constitute the authoritative voice of the church on any given doctrine, principle, or practice of the church. What they say as a presidency is what the Lord would say if he were here in person. This is the rock of foundation of Mormonism. If it ever ceases to be the fact, this will be an apostate church. So I repeat again, what the presidency say as a presidency is what the Lord would say if he were here. And it is scripture. It should be studied, understood, and followed, even as the revelations and the doctrine and covenants and other scriptures. That comes from Conference Report, April 1951, page 90. It is interesting to note that the very criticism the 
the Mormons have against the Catholic doctrine of the Pope's infallibility can now be applied to the LDS people themselves because of their strong dependence and faith in their infallible ecclesiastical head. And that puts us at chapter 4 on page 38. And that means you want to give out the number is 917-889-8827. Chat room is open tonight. Is that accurate? So the chat room is open, and also if you want to call in for any questions, answers, comments section um, of the show, you can do so now while I give a precursor to what is going to be read next week. Well, we're going to do it Monday, or are we doing it through the weekend? Monday. Yes, even on the Babylonian holiday, (laughs) Memorial Day. (laughs) That's a good holiday, yeah. Can, are you unmuted? I don't think you are. No. Memorial Day is a good holiday, but um, we are going to continue um, reading on Monday with Chapter 4, and this is the beginning of it. It's uh, entitled, Trusting in the Lord. Serve God and trust in Him. You cannot serve man nor make flesh your arm for your salvation. Wilford Woodruff Collective Discourse, Volume 2, April 6, 1890. When I was a child, we played a very popular game called Follow the Leader. It was fun trying to do everything the leader did. However, sometimes he did ridiculous, hard, dangerous, or wrong things. After I grew up, there was no need to play such silly childhood games. Nevertheless, I noticed that many adults still play a form of follow the leader in their political, professional, economic, and religious activities. And sometimes they become just as ridiculous as children. There seems to be a natural or spiritual instinct in man to have an example or a leader, someone to show him the right path to take. We are placed on this earth surrounded by physical and spiritual confusion. We grow up having to choose from thousands of paths leading every direction. And as bewildered children, we struggle to find the right one. However, God has not left us in total confusion and darkness. He has given us prophets who have received inspired revelations, visions, and manifestations filled with instructions and directions. These scriptures are simple and true and filled with comfort and guidance. And as usual, nobody calls in, nobody chats, nobody cares. You know, I know that there's people who do listen to this program and they really enjoy it. I was talking to Jacob Vitrin up at the Shavuot conference. But they don't have time to do it now, like uh, at the time that we do it. We all have really different schedules. Well, it doesn't matter when I do it because sometimes I've had it where I do it at noon and sometimes I do it at at 3 and then I do it at 4 to 6. And now I change it from 8 p.m. till 10. And I I think that if I didn't tell people my witness and tell them I was a prophet, that they might come on to talk about things. But because I make the claims that I make, that people don't want to talk to me or whatever, which is stupid because, like, when we go to the conferences and stuff, I talk with lots of people and, you know, we, we have discussions about different things. I, I don't claim to be infallible. Um, 
although some of the stuff that I have been shown, I will take a stand on that. Like, for instance, we had a guy, I, ha- I was talking to a guy about something that God showed me. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand that he didn't know this by revelation, but God did show it to me, and I did. I was talking about Lucifer and how that is a title that comes from a Hebraic world, uh, Hillel, and it means the same thing as Lucifer means in Latin. It means bearer of light and truth. Now everybody wants to like throw that name under the bus and say Lucifer and how horrible he is all the time, but that is a title which means bearer of light and truth. And this guy, after I told him that, he he was like, oh, yeah, I agree with that. He was like, later on the next day we were talking, and he thought, I think that Satan and Lucifer are two different individuals and that Lucifer is more powerful than Satan. And I'm like, well, and he was referring to it in an evil sense. And I was like, well, he is more powerful than Satan because the man who became Satan lost the title of Lucifer and fell from that position and became Satan. But Lucifer is the name of the bearer of light and truth or another name for Hillel in Hebrew, which means bearer of light and truth. And that is God, the witness. That's the title of God, the witness Lucifer the one that we know as Lucifer, he fell from that position of authority and became Hasatan, the accuser of the brethren. And so, like, there's things that I'm very adamant about, and I'm only adamant about it because they're not my opinions. I didn't get it through speculation. They're things that God has shown me. So, I don't know. Anyway, so we don't have anybody in in the guest call-in. And uh, I think I'm going to relax tonight. I am so exhausted. My body is so exhausted. And I feel bad because, Oh, my goodness. I've been trying to unmute the phone for, like, five seconds. Um, I was like, yay, good, because, okay, first of all, I love it when my husband stays home. She always wants me to stay home. I'm always like, are you staying home yet? Aren't you staying home yet? Like, she always is all like, I love it that I don't ever have to tell you to go to work. You're such a hard worker because her ex was not. Ugh, but then every time I'm like, I just want to stay home, she's like, you should do that. Totally. <laughs> and then, then I feel work bad anyway. because <laughs> my boss, like I feel obligated to to do what I say I'm going to do, but my body doesn't agree with my mind. My mind wants to work. All the time. Yeah. Kim says my CBD oil is coming in. Yeah, but my, uh... my mind wants to do so much more than my body can. And I'm supposed to take the Sabbath off. Yeah. Um, Shabbat Sabbath Shalom. Right and you also need to be doing the um, – you haven't done the sacrament since, like, forever ago. I know. Since when – what did was it last weekend? <laughs> when did we go there? Yeah, so – it's been a whole week, so you have to do it. So, you know, it's interesting. Also, just talking to- something even just as important. You're gonna laugh at me. Um, I got the propane filled, and I came home, and there's a problem with that grill because of the dog getting wrapped up in it and pulling it across the lawn. 
So we need to actually put that one into the garbage. Oh, my gosh. And I need to go get a grill. I need to build another fence in their area so they can't escape that. Because they, they've got this puppy who is a... Oh, it wasn't her. It was when we had them hooked up out front to the banisters. We turned it around and set it there, and I had all the briquettes we put back... But I forgot that oh, the inside yeah. element thing was broken, and that's why it wasn't working, which is why our propane tank was more than half full when I tried to go get it filled today. The lady was like, oh, it was not empty. And I was like, oh, it isn't? Why isn't it working? I forgot that there was a problem <laughs> with the tank. So I actually I still need to grill. build that fence because this stupid dog, she's a puppy. She is the same exact age as our because they were born the same day. So Emma, Lucy, Bell, Lichten, Walter only lived 13 hours. But Lucy Bell, the dog, was born the same day, and she's still alive, and she's a puppy, and she picks things up, and she's a Shepsky. What's a Shepsky? She's a shepherd husky, so she's very inquisitive. She's a curious little thing. And she's so silly today when she was playing in her pool. You should have seen her. It was so cute. So I was outside uh, getting eggs, or I was trying to, but all of our hens were sitting on all of the eggs, so I did not get them. And I was like, thanks, guys. They were all chose their own roost in different areas, and they were all filled. I was like, seriously? Anyway, so I checked on the goats. Remember the lazy goat laying in the field looked like she was dead and wouldn't move until I went into the field halfway across it. And then I was like, Ashton. And then all of them jumped up because I said Ashton. So so they all jumped up. Anyways, I was coming back, and she's waiting for me and wagging her whole body because she doesn't just wag her tail. She wags her whole butt and everything at you when you're walking towards her. She's like, <laughs> and then she stuck her head through the fence. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And she was uh, licking me all over, and I was like, oh, thank you, because five seconds before that, she was standing in the pool licking all the water and playing with the water. So I was like, oh. <laughs> Yum, wet dog smell. <laughs> but she's super happy. She's a happy puppy. And she's very silly because huskies are. Yeah, she's silly. Anyway, so I think we're going to be done with the program for tonight because we don't have any callers. And um, I'm tired. Even though I slept all day. Well, I sleep for like three or four hours. And then I wake up for an hour, go to the bathroom, and then go back to sleep for another couple of hours. And I actually woke up right before 5 today, so I got plenty of sleep, but my body hurts because I work too much, and I don't sleep at night. And, like, I want to be on a normal schedule where uh, I work five days and take two days off. And um, after three days... I'm just, like, running on energy drinks because I can't function without them. And during the school year, I have to be able to be at home during the day in case there's an emergency with the kids, so I work at night. And uh, I can do it, and I've done it for years, and I actually enjoy driving at night. And the other thing, too, at night... Uh, nobody bothers me, so like I'll take my phone and put it on airplane mode, and I'll rec- screen record uh, the slideshow for the radio show with the audio in the background, and then I upload it to YouTube, um, 
and uh, it, it works, but I always tell my boss I'm going to work until this day, and I don't because – and I could go in tonight, but I'll just be dragging all night long, and uh, I just want to sleep again. So anyway, um, I'm going to end the program tonight. Uh, I did try to upload yesterday's program onto YouTube. It still isn't uploaded, so there's that. I don't know. If I had a uh, an iPad Mini um, with its own mind, which is what I've been trying to do, but we don't have $500 to do it, um, I wouldn't have these problems, but oh well. You can't always have what you want. All right, well, we'll be on... Uh, Monday at 8 p.m. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless and goodbye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.